This is Mike Shinoda, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Chabell. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chabell. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is Lincoln Park co-founder, Mike Shinoda. Mike co-founded Lincoln Park in 1996 and is the band's lead vocalist, as well as rhythm guitarist, keyboardist, primary songwriter, and producer. More recently, he released the solo hybrid mixtape and NFT project Zagurits and has been Twitch streaming regularly on his channel. We talk about his latest projects during this podcast episode. Mike, welcome to Five Questions. Thanks for having me. What influence did your mother have on your music career? The most obvious thing is my mom started me in piano around three or four. I think a more, maybe a little less obvious thing would be that she was a stenographer. She was a court reporter. So she kind of helped teach me the importance of words and word choice. We'd almost have like quizzes about like words and word meaning. Oh, that's so cool. It's so powerful to have a parent that supports you, especially at that young age. My mom forced me to play piano. I think I was 13 and I just did it for her. I wasn't that into it, even though the recital went well and I quit the next day. I think it's all about like, exposing your children to activities and sports and, and, you know, creative art. After forming Lincoln Park with your high school friends, how did you overcome the challenge of landing your first record label? Okay. So there's basically two types of deal to be had. There's the recording deal and a publishing deal. We got our publishing deal first. So our, our guitarist, Brad was interning at a publishing company right across the street. It was on sunset near the Rip whiskey and Roxy basically. And uh, he convinced his boss to come see us unbeknownst to his boss. The room was packed with our friends. Like we knew everybody there. It created this illusion of popularity. And when he walked in, he just felt like he was missing out on something that the kids were into. He basically offered us a deal right away. Like a low end of the middle kind of standard deal, which was fine because we weren't sure where the band would end up going anyway. We weren't even thinking of it in terms of like long-term career. But I think the important thing was that we invested 100% of that publishing deal money right back into the band. Like we didn't spend any of it any other way, pocket any of it or anything like that. That was one decision that helped put us in a position not only to like get our record deal, but more importantly, it set us up to put in many, many hours building our skill sets, which would be like the foundation of everything for many years to come. I actually did something somewhat similar for one of my book deals. Instead of having to beg an agent to represent me, I hired a consultant that interviewed all the top agents in New York. And then they wanted to work with me because of that. So I kind of reversed everything in the whole process and positioned myself as someone that they would want to represent in, instead of you know sending out different book proposals, hoping that someone would pay attention to me. That's a great hack. I like that. And you have done so much in the arts. You're a musician, you're a producer, a gamer, a graphic designer. How do you decide what projects to focus on right now versus which ones to maybe set aside for another day? I mean, thankfully, I'm in a position where I can go where my curiosity takes me. I've been playing with a lot of different types of creative projects. You said writing and producing, new technology, and then also like just engaging with my community in different ways. It's a lot of variety. Like just for example, like this last month or two, I've 
I've done sessions making songs for other people's albums. I helped launch a project with a music AI company that I'm invested in and work with called Warp Sound. I continue to tinker on like some other bigger ideas, which honestly may take a few years to flesh out. This is where it's all going anyways. If you're in the creative field, you need to know where technology is going and it's good to experiment. I mean, one of your big experiments was your NFT project last year that sold out, you know, 5,000 NFTs sold in a matter of minutes. That's become pretty common now. I'm very bullish on NFTs as well. I have a lot of them on a platform called Vivi, which has a lot of IP back NFTs. And a lot of artists have their own NFTs now. I mean, also part of the rally network where there's a lot of creatives. I think that this is really transforming how musicians make money, get their music made. So I think that this whole idea of co-creation and, and getting closer to fans through NFTs is, is really taken off. And I think that it's going to have a bright future. You know, your NFT project, it was more of a hybrid. You released new music with the NFTs, Ziggurats. How do you see NFTs transforming the music industry and what do they mean for artists moving forward? So one thing about NFTs is that for musicians, many of the things that we make are digital items to start with and to be able to capitalize on the scarcity or the importance of those items. NFTs are a good solution for that. I will say this, like as active as the blockchain universe is, it's still really small relative to what else, everything else and, and the rules and infrastructure are still getting worked out. So I've tried to skew my engagement with NFTs and blockchain towards artistic endeavors and like low barrier to entry, low costs. I don't want to see people going in with thousands of dollars and getting hurt. Like I've tried to make all of my stuff from free to hundreds of dollars because I wanted them to be able to experience it in a safe way and explore the technology in these unique opportunities and almost like these unique emotions that you get when you get something that you feel a connection to. Uh, Ziggurat, for example, is my project from the end of last year, which was a 5,000 mini mixtapes and each one had its own unique music and unique cover art. So all of the music on each one was different. All of the cover art on each one was different. Um, it was delivered instantly to fans into their wallets and the royalties from those were instantly dispersed. When they sold one on secondary market, those royalties were instantly dispersed for those of who participated in creating them. These are the unique things that the NFT market can, can offer an artist. So over the holidays, I went on and I gave a new free NFT to everyone who already owned one of my old NFTs. I did this on Tezos, which is a, a different blockchain than the one that many people are using called Ethereum. The reason I did it on Tezos is because it's a green NFT. It's one two millionth of the carbon footprint of Ethereum. Not only does that keep costs down for people, it's good, for, better for the environment, but it's also like the transaction fees are really low. So when I did my free giveaway, it was a surprise and it was it cost almost nothing to do. There are so many things being built on NFTs. The last thing I'll say about it is an NFT isn't a JPEG. It's not a, it's not a monkey JPEG. It's not a Ponzi scheme. There are real people with real ideas. There are people with master's degrees in computer science. There are lifetime artists and musicians. There are creatives in the gaming industry who are all building things on the blockchain. Yes, there are totally scams and bad things out there too. So it is the wild west. Like it's, it's a very frothy and can be a little dangerous. I mean, they're really, I think the, the way to explore it is with that curiosity and willingness to collect, kick the tires on these ideas. Yeah. And the benefit is it creates a new connection with fans. It's 
like collecting and connection 3.0, where now instead of just signing maybe memorabilia, now you can send an NFT. So it's like a new way to create that connection and share in memories and experiences with people. And, you know, there's going to be more utilities as people move forward in NFTs. The thing that many of us who are in the space, who are exploring it and in music as well, the thing I think that most people are excited about is the idea that the supporter of an artist can benefit by being a supporter. What opens up in the future of blockchain is that basically the fans become shareholders in the projects. So when the project succeeds, the creators of the project see whatever benefit they've identified and the actual audience themselves also shares in that benefit. So if it is that it's a strictly money like value proposition, then yeah, the the creator of the project makes money, but also the fans who are there make money. And the earlier you were on board, the more you you share in that profit as well. Yeah, well said. You know, shared incentives. Everyone kind of wins in that capacity. And what's your best piece of career advice? And the two things that come to mind are patience and gratitude. Sometimes you have to be patient, whether that's working patiently or just waiting patiently to allow an idea to come to its full potential. And for me, the gratitude piece helps feed the patience and vice versa. So even on days when things go terribly wrong, something comes like crashing to a halt, stepping back and asking like, what am I grateful for allows me to refocus on the meaning behind what I'm doing. Having gratitude fuels the patience and having patience fuels the gratitude. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Mike. To follow his journey, you can find him on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, where he shares his appearances, events, NFTs, and other creative projects. To watch the full extended video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash Dan Shaw Bell. And please remember to rate and review the 5 Questions podcast on iTunes. Mm-hmm.